We have found the witch. May we burn her? Burn She is a witch. She looks like one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bring her forward. I'm not a witch. I'm not a witch. But you are dressed as one. They dressed me up like this. And this isn't my nose. It's a false one. Will? Well, we did do the nose. The nose? And the hat. But she is a witch. Yeah. That's that's gonna happen not through being full of shit. It's gonna happen through you know tr- you know making the best of the evidence that's available, and uh, you free your mind by using your brain. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we got Red Pill Junkie with us, so we're gonna be talking to Thomas Hatzis a little bit later. Uh, but first, you want to tell them about what? what as about? always. <laughs> Graham, I give myself blue balls for fun, Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? You got to keep going on about that, eh? <laughs> One more time. All right, that's it. The You've last time I've had All it. All right, it's practice. After tonight, maybe it's it'll be practice. the fortune cookie bandit. That's practice. <laughs> it's practice. <laughs> Some people call it blue balls. Okay. Graham calls it practice. Okay. So we got we got Thomas Hatz's, Hatz's coming the witch's up. Witch's ointment. And the witch's ointment, yeah. So he's kind of talking about... Um, Psychedelic, psychedelic, psychedelics yeah, and witches' psychedelic, pussies. Yeah, exactly. That type of stuff. Can you say pussies on here? Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Red? Hey, man. Well, you know, kind of intimidated about <coughs> this conversation of blue ball, witches' pussies, and whatever. <laughs> That's okay. It's all good, man. No judgment It's here. all good. It should be a good one. We're doing the... Uh, the uh, fortune cookie challenge tonight. Finally, once and for all, did we did we find a match last time or no? No, we didn't find a match last time, and we forgot to talk about it. So James Nation's out there, you know, wondering what the hell went on, and we didn't find two of the same ones, even though Darren thought he did as he was reading through them. But James, please remind me what the fortune cookie challenge is. Yeah, it's it's a, a listener of ours who's uh, actually local in Calgary. Actually, he's playing in a band this weekend at Halloween night at Morgan's. So I think Darren and I are going to go if anybody locally is interested. I think he plays some pretty heavy rock probably, eh? I think. I don't know. I think the name of his band is Wasted Nation. Anyways, he uh, he wrote at in Morgan's, a... Morgan's, si- right? He wrote in a synchronicity because uh, he was kissing two fortune cookies together with his friend, talking about synchronizing them together, and then they opened, it, opened them up and they had the same fortune. Mm. So we were talking about the chances of that, and I was, of course, for it, and Darren was against it. So I brought <laughs> in all my that. saved up, Imagine fortune, that, yeah. all my saved up fortune cookies from home, and I opened them all up and uh, trying to prove to Darren that there wasn't going to be two alike, and there wasn't. But he wasn't but satisfied because some of the cookies were already <laughs> eaten, and I had a bunch of fortunes. Yeah. So this guy says he has a bunch of fortune cookies, right? And then mm-hmm. he shows up in the studio, and he's got. Like ten. eight or ten, ten fortune no, cookies. Ten. And then there's a whole bunch and of fortunes. And then he's fortunes. got a bunch of fortunes. Already okay. no cookies. And he's okay. trying to tell me that this is a legitimate experiment. Guy got, got hungry on the way to the igloo. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Darren went and bought a box. Actually, James Nation suggested that he, he he offered to buy a box as well, but Darren bought a box here. But I think James's idea of it is he wants us to find two. He wants us to kiss them together, pick two and kiss them together and come up with the same ones. But I, my point is is that his his uh, his thing was rare enough to be a synchronicity so that we're not going to find two in this whole box. You don't think so, eh? What? I don't think what? No, we're not going to find two in that whole box. How many cookies are in that box? 50. 50. 50. 50 individually wrapped. Tamper-proof. Can can you say the name of the company or where do they come from? China. Uh, (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Obviously. They were from the States, actually, I think. I don't know. I just, it was the first place I found on eBay. San Francisco? I had to make sure that the fortune cookies were individually wrapped. That was important. I'm not coming to the studio with a box you know, full of no, fortunes you know, that Graham could have typed up out of fucking Kinko's. Allow, allow me to interject here. I think this is the wrong way to do it. I think this is... You, you, you have the box already, and you could... Okay, you could right now try to, you know, pick two up random and see if they possibly match or have re- some relation. But maybe they a better approach will be to try to give uh, more meaning into the drawing of the cookies. I don't know how to do it. Maybe, you know, whenever you have a guest or something, let the guest, like, pick a a random number or whatever, you know, and then use that number to, to pick one or two cookies or whatever, and then see if the messages from those uh, fortune cookies draw some meaning, particularly if they may be related in a way to the topic that you were at, you might be at that time discussing with the guests. We can do that with the next batch of fortune cookies. That's not a bad idea, though. I like that. That's not a bad idea. We can get get thousands of fortune cookies per day. Oh, well, if you have an unlimited budget, you know, then not yourself. (laughs) No, fortune cookies are surprisingly cheap. If you don't go go individually wrapped, you could have them show up in a 45-gallon drum. So that's your plan next this this Halloween instead of giving candies to to the fortune cookies already <laughs> opened fortune cookies <laughs> yeah oh Jim but before you go first up wrap open up that cookie <laughs> 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 there's two halves <laughs> okay well let's fucking get into it right now no hey wait wait. <laughs> Kiss them together like James wants us to. <laughs> that was a lame kiss. <laughs> Fuck off. You're making it weird again. A French kiss. <laughs> oh, man. Mine's ripped. You ripped it? Oh, this is too much. This is too much. Are you ready? Mine says the future looks bright for you. That's lame. Mine says follow the meaningful coincidences. Life... Puts, puts before you and they'll show you the way. <laughs> Boom, baby. <laughs> Here, let's try again. That's like the best. 
No, yeah, can't. right. It doesn't say that. What? It does. It's talking about synchronicities in my <laughs> fortune. Look, it's meaningful coincidences. Take a photo. Fuck off. All right, let's try again. These fucking untrustworthy, untrustworthy people. The the cookies in general taste better, though I think. These ones, yeah, than mine. I should yeah. try and get my local Chinese food place to switch over. <laughs> Just switch over to these ones. <laughs> Make a kissing noise. You broke it. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Are you? Did you set me up? Did you set me up? <laughs> They're all the same. <laughs> this is rigged. Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking picked this out. I ordered them all the same. <laughs> it's like 760 bucks. <laughs> Did you elicit the help of listeners for this? No wonder why you wanted me to go for the whole box. That's mean. It's like, it's a perfect wedding. Look, he's laughing at me. Oh, fuck. Well, there you have it, Red. A practical joke. I got to pick his fortune. Who made up the fortune? Me. That was you, really? Yeah. That was pretty good. That was the whole plan. So I was like... Me and Lisa were sitting there, and I was like, I want it, so he's just going to be like, yeah, and then he's going to open the next cookie, and he's going <laughs> to... Oh, <laughs> that was a good one, buddy. So now you know, there's a... Should I put a link to the... Should I put a link to the fortune cookie place that can just type up a specific fortune? <laughs> yeah. You can get them in 50s or 100s. Oh, my God. You got me good. <laughs> Try another one. See what the fortune says. <laughs> oh, man. So that's why we couldn't do it till the fortune cookie showed up. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. All right. Well, I hope everybody well played, that. sir. Yeah. Hope well enjoyed played. that at my expense. <laughs> I really got excited there. <laughs> like, how did they know? If you this could have the seen the look on his face, he's like, oh, he's, he's fist pumping. I wasn't fist pumping. <laughs> there was a fist bump. I don't think so. <clears throat> okay, uh, Red, help me out here, buddy. What's going on with you? <laughs> uh, nothing much. You know, last Friday night... I engaged in a really great and long conversation with my friend Joshua Cutchin and my new friend Sarai Askat, the host of the radio show, Where Did the Road Go? And, you know, we were supposed to be talking about uh, uh, one particular topic, which will be uh, artificial intelligence, but I don't know, I, I guess... When two or three like-minded people get together, we ended up like talking, and the discussion went all over the place. You know, we talked about UFOs, Bigfoot, alien intelligence, space—I don't know what else. 
And by the time that Soraya stopped the recorder, we still kept at it, you know, until it was like over three in the morning, you know. Were you drinking tequila? No, well, uh, at first I was drinking tequila, but then I switched to beer, you know, to this brand called Noche Buena, you know, which they sell especially during this uh, time of the year, you know, by the end of uh, December. So, yeah, it was a great discussion, and I'm looking forward to returning to Where Did the Show Go? Very Where cool. Did the Road Go? Show. <laughs> did you have any, like, epiphanies or anything like that? Or anything that, uh, I don't know, having those long conversations, sometimes you can kind of get to a depth of, you know, new new kind oh. of insights. Oh, I'm sure, I, I'm sure we did, you know, but fuck if I remember right now, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a problem. So are you also uh, working on another podcast as well? Oh, well, Adam Loyal, our friend, you know, who whom we met uh, through the Paradigm Symposium, is currently working in putting together his this podcast that he wants to organize. And uh, he wants me to be, I don't know, if either a co-host or a regular guest or whatever. And I think that the name he chose for the podcast is Friends to Know. I think he even, you know, um, secured the the domain. So if you guys go to the URL friendstogo.com, I think that's where you, you'll find his his website, even though, you know, there's uh, currently nothing uploaded there yet. You know, we're st- so he, he's still in the process of uh, picking uh, picking the software he needs, and so I suppose the equipment, and obviously you know, trying to organize our schedule. You know, currently my schedule is extremely free <laughs> over the fact that I'm out of a job, but that might happen. That might change uh, sooner than than we think. You know, I'm in the process of trying to to apply for a, for a new job in. A, some firm here in Mexico. So that's, unfortunately, you know, well, I mean, good news for me because, you know, that no more uh, wrangling my ha- my hands and, and, and uh, dreading over the fact that I'm going to starve to death. But now, you know, it comes, it comes with the price of having less uh, freedom with my time, you know. So, yeah. well, hopefully we'll, we'll figure it out, you know, work out, the kinks and the whistles in order to get you guys uh, yet another podcast that might help you know make your your uh, your daily routine a little more lively and more interesting that's going to be called friends to know yeah i think that's the name that he chose friends with benefits and then you'll be <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll you'll be a regular part of that right hopefully yeah Hopefully, right on. For a limited time, you get a fortune cookie with a Gramerica shirt. (laughs) (laughs) That will be a better idea than to keep, you know, the the usual business card. You know, hey, here's my card now. Here's my cookie, (laughs) and it's got your your email address and the fortune. Exactly. Then people are pissed because they got your email address. You didn't get lottery numbers put in the back. Oh, that was extra. Really? Yeah. Two sided printing. Yeah. I know all about that with the t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know about your dilemma. 
with yeah. cookies. Yeah. Oh, also forgot that you know since we're in the in the time of plugging things, that I See, also gotta spoke. be a better way to say that. Oh <laughs> well, I don't know. You tell me. I'm you are the English speaking native. So I, I spoke with Greg Bishop, Paul Kimball, and Nick Redfern last Sunday on Radio Misterioso because we were like honoring the passing of uh, Mac Tonis, you know, who was a really prolific and uh, a really intelligent uh, writer, essayist, blogger, you know, a guy who uh, had a deep interest not only in the UFO phenomenon, but also in in things related to technology and culture and also transhumanism. He was a, a big proponent of the singularity and the post-human kind of scenario. So he had a, a really, really important blog back in the day called Post-Human Blues. But unfortunately, in 2009, McDonald's had an untimely death, you know, had some kind of uh, cardiac or co coronary problems. So he died really, really young, you know, and, and as, it of, as it often happens with those kinds of deaths, you know, there was, a, there was at the time a bit of discussion, you know, a, little, a bit of conspiracy on whether, you know, uh, his death had been, you know, natural or not, you know, a bunch of nonsense. But nevertheless, it was a real tragedy that Mac died so young without, you know, having really uh, produced uh, a lot of content, you know, aside from two books that he managed to, to release, one posthumously. One was After the Martian Apocalypse, which is a book discussing the idea of a possible, you know, alien civilization living in Mar Mars in the ancient past, you know. Not like Richard Hoagland kind of, oh, look at all this shit that they're found in, on, on the uh, NASA photos. But, you know, giving a, a, a very agnostic and very intelligent, uh, uh, like, argument, you know, trying to construct the idea uh, uh, that... All those anomalies found by, by, by a few researchers do, do deserve further scrutiny. And the other book that I think that the ones that is that really you know made him uh, posthumously famous was the crypto terrestrials. You know, this thought experiment he came up with to try to consider the UFO phenomenon from a different angle, you know. I mean, the typical scenario that even, you know, to this day is is uh, proposed and publicized by, by people in the UFO camp is that UFOs are extraterrestrial vehicles come from, who knows, you know, a different galaxy or a different star system or whatever. And McTone is, you know, in, in not, not a, as a completely 100% original idea. He came up with, it, the, with the concept of what if these entities are the, the remnants of some, you know, indigenous ancient civilization uh, which, you know, decided to recede themselves into, you know, maybe the underground cavern systems or maybe, you know, uh, below the surface of the ocean, and they still interact with us because they need our DNA or our genetic material in order to 
to help them uh, survive or, or compensate for their slow uh, degeneration, you know. And this, the, 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 the reason I say it was a thought, thought experiment is because Mac wasn't, you know, 100% sold on, on the idea. What I mean is he didn't, you know, uh, quote-unquote, believe it completely, you know. He, it was... For him, an interesting speculation, something that will uh, help him uh, consider the UFO phenomenon from a different perspective, you know. But, of course, that's the kind of thing that get people confused because whenever someone releases a book, they tend to have, like, a pet theory, you know, (laughs) give a lot of, uh, quote-unquote, evidence to support it, and get into huge fights with people who disagree with them. But that was not the case with Mac. You know, Mac was too much of an honest intellectual in order to engage in such such petty fighting. And it was something that... (coughs) Uh, it was interesting for uh, to him for a time, the same way that maybe you know someone gets obsessed with a song, you know, and it becomes yeah, like the soundtrack of your life for for a little while, and then you know maybe you get tired of it and and you move on. Hmm. So is that like the Daros and like the underground underground people that type of thing, that type of? Yeah, I mean, Richard Shaver, you know, the guy who came up with that, the ideas of the Theros and the Theros believing, you know, uh, there in Mount Shasta and whatever, you know, and who uh, published all all those writings uh, under the the supervision of uh, Ray Palmer. He was the first one, well, of or one of the first one who came uh, who to consider the idea that there could be advanced civilizations uh, living below in, the surface of the earth. You in know, the inner earth kind of is that the same? Is that like parallel the inner earth theories and that type of stuff as well now? Then, in a way, although I think I don't think that Ray Palmer consider the possibility that aliens could be hiding below the surface of the ocean. I think that other researchers, you know, complemented on that, you know, like uh, this guy, this cryptozoologist. I know who you're thinking of, the guy that wrote the thing about the USOs. Exactly. I just heard his name today. Um, hmm. It wasn't Bernard Hubermans. Invisible, invisible... Invisible uh, residence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ivan Sanderson. Ivan T. Sanderson. Yeah. You know, and um, so there's been other even even I remember before Shaver. There there was this this guy. I think he was a Br- British author who wrote a book. I think it was in in the early twentieth century. Uh, titled The Coming Race, which then, you know, came off to have a lot of influence in the theosophical circles. And even, I think, with even with the occult Nazis movement, you know. So there's, there's a lot of undercurr- undercurrents and, 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 and lore 
is surrounding this idea of the inner earth and the and the occult civilizations you know you you think of the the legend of shambhala or shangri-la or the legend of agarthi you know in the himalayas in the tibet so there there is already a lot of tradition regarding these ideas you know so of course whether this is true or not you know it's still a matter of of speculation but I really encourage everybody who hasn't uh, read the crypto terrestrials yet to order it from Amazon, you know, on, on your next like sh- order, you know, you won't regret it. It's a, it's a small book, you know, it's, it's really, you know, short, you might get to read it in, in, in less than three, five days, but it's incredibly thought provoking and also it's beautifully illustra- illustrated by, by the, the images that were drawn by Mike Cleland, who was a, a good friend of Mac and who oh, did wow. this as a, yeah, the, as a last homage for a dear friend. Oh, wow. Interesting. I'd like to do a, a show on that and get a little deeper into that. Deeper. Get it? In, no. Into the deeper into the inner earth mysteries. Oh. Ah, that will be an interesting show. I will recommend you maybe get a hold of uh, Walter Bosley. Oh yeah, I heard. Yeah, didn't uh, Micah have him on recently? I think so, but I don't think they discussed that yet. I mean, but Walter is a former um, Air Force and FBI agent, you know, but he also has like a, a deep knowledge in occultism, you know, and, and and all those kind of things. And he's been writing a lot of, you know, uh, books de- dealing with, you know, the kind of ancient mysteries or not even no, not that ancient you know things that happened in the 19th century and the early 20th century and he is uh, looking into all those that, that sort of stuff I think that the last book that he came up with was about this uh, British explorer who went to South America and uh, possibly made have made some discoveries with regards to ancient civilizations there. Huh, that sounds interesting, yeah. I've heard, yeah and also that. with ties to the, that, also that interesting legend of the Sonora Air Club. Yeah, you know, yeah, these guys who yeah. supposedly were in California in the 1850s, late... 1850s, I think, right? Even early, yeah, early it, as that? Yeah, I guess. Although... Some people link that society or that group with the airship sightings of the 1890s, you know, 1897 and the like. Some people uh, think, you know, that those airships that people were seeing all over the United States and particularly in the Pacific Southwest were built by by someone you know so no, it wasn't in, uh, in other words some kind of uh, extraterrestrial shape or, or alien or ufo that came from some other place you know it was this was a man made you know aerial vehicle hmm. what do you think about that me um, well it's something that i I shouldn't. We shouldn't discard just yet, you know. Even though 
there's some problems with that, you know, because uh, I think our friend Micah Hanks have discussed how maybe there was some kind of, you know, anonymous inventor who came up with some kind of uh, aerial vehicle that was maybe 50 years ahead of everyone else. But at the same time, the the descriptions given in the newspaper reports about these uh, objects, they seem to display um, uh, capabilities and maneuvers that were even not not just 50 or 30 years ahead, you know, of, of what uh, mankind could build, but even even 100 or even things that we ourselves couldn't even couldn't even match so i don't know it's it's one thing to consider but as always with the ufo mystery you know there are no theories that really manage to explain everything you know inside yeah, yeah. but there are quotes that take a good crack at it i would argue How's that for a segue? Well, I'm going to switch it up on you then. Red, I'm going to set it up. I'm going to talk about an article, and uh, I'm going to take a couple quotes from the article as part of the segment. What? Okay. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, you want me to do different quotes besides UFO quotes of the week, so I've got different ones here. Yeah, that's just a fucking thing just fell on the ground. You're going to burn down the igloo. It's just an incense. Okay, so this is uh, this is the top eight paranormal scientific studies and what we can learn from them. So I'm not going to go into the whole article in uh, in detail. What about the quote? It's in. It's wrapped up inside here. Wrapped up inside here. What is this turning into? So we've talked about a lot of this stuff on the show, but there's. Um, I'll just name the eight of them. Uh, name re- the quote. Reincarnation is the first one. And this goes into the scientific studies behind them, right? Precognition, that we talk about on the show a lot. Telepathy, the Stargate Project. Why are you shaking your head over there? Because it's supposed to be the quote. Uh, there's a quote in here. I'm okay, going to get to it. And then that quantum double slit experience. <laughs> experiment. Uh, delayed choice, quantum eraser, and out-of-body and near-death experiences, and then healing at a distance. And it goes into each of these articles. And it's stuff we've talked about on the show. But it's... Uh, it's interesting when you see it all together like this. So I've got a couple of quotes that I've taken from this. If Darren would stop laughing. I'm not laughing. <laughs> Nothing about this oh, is boy. funny to me. Okay. So this is uh, the Nobel Prize scientist who understood this reality is not actually real. What's his name? His name is R.C. Henry. Ryan Christopher. Professor of Physics and Astronomy at Johns Hopkins University. So a fundamental conclusion of the new physics also acknowledges that the observer creates the reality. As observers, we are personally involved with the creation of our own reality. Physicists are being forced to admit that the universe is a mental construction. Pioneering physicist Sir James Jeans wrote, The stream of knowledge is heading toward a non-mechanical reality. The universe begins to look more like a great thought than like a great machine. Mind no longer appears to be an accidental intruder into the realm of matter. We ought rather hail it as the creator and the governor of the realm of matter. Get over it and accept the inarguable conclusion. (laughs) 
The universe is immaterial, mental, and spiritual. That's R.C. Henry, professor of physics and astronomy at Johns Hopkins University. The mental universe. That's from nature. That's kind of the same idea as digital. One of our guests, Stanley Krippner, is quoted in this article as well. But I'm going to also add another one in here. Are you just picking these out on the fly? Yeah. <laughs> What's so funny? I couldn't tell. <clears throat> um, let's see here. Which one do I want to get? If we attempt to attribute an objective meaning to the quantum state of a single system, curious paradoxes appear. Quantum effects mimic not only instantaneous action at a distance, but also, as seen here, influence on future accent actions on past events. Even after these events have been irre irrevocably recorded. That's from Asher Perez, the pioneer in quantum information theory. I have one more to do as well, if Darren lets me. <laughs> Hurry up. Over the past 30 <laughs> years, scientific, significant scientific research has been conducted on the potential effectiveness and value of distant healing practices. The practice of distant healing is drawing increased attention as an important component of the integral medicine models that blend a range of approaches to health and healing. Many leading health professionals and spiritual leaders believe distant healing practices may significantly expand the capacity to facilitate healing. And that's from Marilyn Schultz, PhD, president of the Institute of Noetic Scientists, uh, of Sciences, that's IONS. So anyways, there you have it. I, I was looking for another one here too, but I can't seem to, to find it, so I'll have to go with those. You right there, Darren? You broke the quote. Yeah? You broke it. <laughs> I don't know if they can recover from this. <coughs> so, what do you want to do now? I don't know. I'm speechless. Are you? Now I feel like you feel speechless. Oh. <laughs> so, I wanted to give a shout out to some uh, some people, though. We uh, we sent some shirts out to some people who donated. So, I want to thank uh, thank them for donating. Got some, got a, got a few shirts left. I'm going to order a bunch more, I guess, of at least just the Grimerica show ones. It seems like that's a little more popular than the Save Sasquatch one. Take the shot is pretty popular. That's funny because the people who aren't podcast fans, aren't fans of the podcast, seem to like the Save Sasquatch one better. Really? Mm hmm How are you coming to this conclusion? As general public when I wear them. Oh, really? Yeah. You have people commenting on your shirt? In yeah. the public? Mostly the safe side. Do they get it? But they're like, I wish you had to take the shot one. Oh, come on. I'm telling you. Were you, are you at like a gun show or something like that <laughs> in the shirt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I also want to give a shout out to uh, Adam who sent us a postcard for the studio. And we also got some art from our guest um, on spirituality Marty. and fitness marty hansen marty the one night party hansen <laughs> <laughs> and uh, marty's got a, le a learn performance workshop coming up at the end of november i'm going to link to it and it's in canmore so Are i told him I'd, to i told i might go to it yeah i told him i'd give him a shout out 
on the show here. But basically, um, what you learn, the free-flowing state of mind that automatically applies the skills and capacities needed in any situation is called performance. Performance falls short when our ability to be present in a desired outcome is interfered with our perception of certain conditions or situations. So it's going to be about how to create clear intentions using imagination and intuition and a deeper understanding of your perception and focus of attention through meditation, breathing, and physical movement exercises. And knowing the source of aversion or elation and how these behaviors function and how they affect you. So it's a full day workshop in Canmore. Probably going to be about 30 or 40 people. So That would have been a better quote. Bigger shout out, bigger <laughs> shout out to Marty. <laughs> Go get him, Marty. And then we talked about James Nation playing this weekend at uh, Morgan's Pub in Calgary. We're going to go to that. Dress up. Uh, what are you dressing up as, everybody? Secret. Secret? What are uh, you? Everyone wants to know what you're dressing up as. I don't know yet. Frodo? No. I don't have any old costumes left over. Maybe maybe it could be in honor of the new Star Wars. Maybe it could be. What were those little dudes in the third one? The Ewoks? Is that what they are? Ewoks? <laughs> No? Yeah, that's what they were probably. He they? could be they an Ewok. Were... No, Ewoks were in the first, like the Return of the Jedi, right? Yeah, it's yeah the third the, one. The third. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, I don't know the numbers. Just Ewoks. The Jesus Christ. Just the names, man. I'm a Trekkie and I know better than you. Um, What else do I want to mention? Support the show. Yeah. Other ways, Bitcoin. We had a listener write in and say, you guys should put, uh, you guys should pump out your Bitcoin a little bit. So we do have a Bitcoin QR code on the support page that uh, we have a little wallet there. So if people want to donate, they can send their Bitcoins. Darren, you got anything else to say about that? And there's other ways you can support the show. There's uh, T-shirts still available, 25 bucks US or more of a donation. And we'll ship a T-shirt Preferably out. more. Prefer, well, yeah, of course. Um, what else? Review America.ca slash support. Yeah. And you can review the show on iTunes and Stitcher. That really and helps. And spread the word. We need more people spreading the word. Not enough of you motherfuckers spreading the word. <laughs> <laughs> Even more. Get up, move on, bitches. Yeah. Go tell some people. Spread the spread the words. Pat people on the back, as we say. Yeah. And we wanna we want to, to hear hear feedback from you guys, stories, sightings. Anything strange like that? Synchronicities. Synchronicities. Maybe stories of being burned and practical jokes. Lucid like dreams. Lucid dreams, yeah. And send me your gramisms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but check out the support page for all the different options on how to support us. Um, I want to talk about those events, too. Um, what events? If you guys wanted to... Well, I was... Lucky enough, being in Calgary, and there's a, a few events a couple of weeks back that I got to attend, so I was kind of itching to talk about those a little bit. And you would have had blue balls at the time. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Nothing like that. that subject is over. <laughs> so, um, so Red Grant Cameron was in town. Oh. Yeah, I got to go uh, see him. And uh, I didn't realize that the guy who wrote that book, Alien Rock, uh, Michael Luckman, I think his name was, that he had passed away uh, last, or I might have known and I've forgotten. But anyways, did did you know about that, Red? Who? Michael Sorry? Michael Luckman, he wrote the book, uh, Alien Rock, and it was about all the, all the uh, 
rock stars that have I have, had I have heard of that yeah. book. Never, so, never actually read it. So the interesting thing is Grant Cameron, uh, and we're going to have him on soon here. Actually, he would have come to the studio if he didn't have such a tight schedule there. But um, he's taken over that guy's work, basically. So he's the one, yeah. he's the one, he's becoming the authority for artists and musicians who have had experiences um, and sightings mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so he's got a presentation with, it's not only about artists and all that as well, but sort of like, you know, downloads of information and whether that be like mathematical equations or other kind of scientific downloads or artist type stuff. Um, when he goes through the list of musicians, it will blow you away that almost every major musician has admitted or has openly talked about UFO sightings or contact experiences. It's it's pretty crazy. And of course, that that's, uh, raises up an interesting question, whether they're being creative opens you up to to having those experience or if creative people have less qualms in actually sharing those experiences with the public you know yeah that's that's interesting i was wondering about a similar thing like what if right-brained people are um more receptive or like what comes first, right? The experience or the the uh, capability of the experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the chicken or the egg. Yeah, yeah, that's something that I've always pondered. It was the egg, for the record. <laughs> what? Yeah, with the chicken and the egg question, what came first? You know, obviously the, the egg came first. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Oh my god, there's been a UFO crash <laughs> right in the igloo. Uh, so, the other thing I wanted to mention is I, I bumped into a couple guys there that I'd met at my conspiracy meetup. So, I want to give a shout out to a couple guys <laughs> at the conspiracy meetup. No, it was great. We had this little meetup group, about 10 of us got together, and we were going to talk about uh, CERN and some stuff like that. But we ended up going all over the place to free energy and Dolores Cannon and talking about all kinds of stuff. It was just great. Like, four hours flew by. I bet. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a tough nut. It's a tough nut to crack. That conspiracy here, man. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the other thing was Deepak Chopra. I went to see him and and more scientific evidence about meditation, and it was pretty cool how the Chopra Institute is is working so closely with. um, Okay, you just equated Deepak Chopra with science in one single sentence. Yeah, uh, (laughs) you should see all the universities that his uh, he's working with. Uh, it's pretty cool. His, his I don't, yeah, I don't have anything about, about Deepak Chopra per se. You know, I think that some of the things that he he, he says are interesting. I, and I guess I appreciate the fact that he brought to the attention of the mainstream the kind of things that we ourselves might give for granted. You know, but. At the same time, I, I know that he uh, sometimes goes way into the, the hype of the thing. So there's, there's even a, a few websites, you know, that automatically, like, releases what they call Chopraisms, you know, like no, nonsensical New Age questions that if you, li- if you listen, it kind of makes sense, but, you know, there's just random sentences, you know, 
joined together by the computer. <laughs> oh yeah, I think you told me about that one once. I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot of interesting science about uh, breathing and meditation and how breathing, like deep breathing, really does stimulate your vagus nerve. So, and then, and then I heard this guy on Joe Rogan as well talking about breathing, and uh, it was funny because just when I'm really trying to be aware of my breath at work, especially I'm all tense and stressed, and I'm realizing how like what a ball of nerves I am. And I'm trying to breathe deeper, and there's there is now a lot of science around how that can activate positive uh, results. I can't, you know, get into the science behind it right now, but it's or, pretty or fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I will, maybe I'll just fucking get into it just to prove you wrong there, buddy. Okay. Jesus. I look forward to it. Are you going to have like a brief? Are you going to sneak podcast? it into the quote of the week segment again? Or? <laughs> maybe. Yeah. One po- quote of the week in the future is going to be, <sighs> 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 And that's it. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I will do that, Darren. It'll be Graham's quote of the week. Graham, bam, blam. Yeah. I look forward to it. All right, buddy. Well, that's about it. Well, Red, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Are you going to... Is that it, Darren? Are we getting into this chat yeah, with Tom? Yeah, let's get into the chat with Hansen. Tom. Hey, do I get a cookie? Yeah, man. I'll send you some cookies. Okay. Yeah, we'll see if you get any of the same synchros. Any of the same... <laughs> fortunes so the fortune cookie debate has been solved enjoy the interview with Tom and we'll see you in the outro Thomas Hatsis with us tonight, and he's a historian of witchcraft, magic, Western religions, and contemporary psychedelia, and medieval pharmacopoeia, get that word, that's pretty cool. And he's taught history, he's, he's also teaches roller derby. Actually, he's injured from roller derby, he was just telling us. <laughs> yeah. his, uh, his latest book just he came out, The Witch's Ointment, which is the secret history of psychedelic magic, so kind of fits right in with the stuff we've been talking about here. Yeah, which I must admit I haven't been able to read because my wife stole it. Your wife stole it. You shouldn't let your wife read our books until we're done the show, buddy. Well, if she likes it. My wife does it, too. Happy wife, happy life, Graham. You ever hear that saying? So welcome to the show, Thomas. Hey, thanks for having me, Graham. How's your your injury doing? You okay? I'm drinking some absinthe. I got a bowl packed, um, so, you know nursing it you got some ointment on that uh no not yet (laughs) not yet do you know how to make any good ointments no but i have some friends that can it's all in who you know (laughs) 
That is it. It really is. It's not what you know. It's who you know. So how's your book? Uh, how's your book been received so far? Um, I would say probably the usual. Uh, certain people have been really into it, and that's been really cool. And um, of course, you get all the hate mail as well. <laughs> and, um, it, it's uh, I'm enjoying it either way. Um, um, it's uh, there are certain things that I I don't write about, and I think people were expecting me to uh, write about that uh, I couldn't find too much evidence for, and that seems to be bothering some people. So, oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah. Let's, let's start with, with uh, some of those examples. Then, oh, okay. <laughs> start with what's pissing everybody off. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. Uh, so, um, you're probably aware, I'm sure, of that uh, the the myth about uh, you know witches rubbing the ointments on broomsticks and masturbating with them to you know deliver the drugs. Have you heard of that? No, no. but I'm in instantly intrigued. Exactly, exactly. It's a very charming <laughs> thing to think about, right? But um, there's uh, so that's all over the internet. It's in some books on the witch's ointment. This idea and it. It, it seems to have just been invented in 1973 and uh, as conjecture. And um, I don't know anyone, and I speak to a lot of scholars about this all the time, and I haven't seen it myself. There doesn't really seem to be any record of anybody rubbing a hallucinogenic ointment on a broom and masturbating with it. They seem to have just used their fingers to do it. To do what? The masturbating or the rubbing of the ointment? Both. Oh. <laughs> Both. <laughs> so... Is that what you mean by, I was just reading, you know, about the description of your book and set and stuff. And it says, you know, you say the witch's ointment didn't exist. It was just used as what, like a propaganda tool or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it, it was a form of a, a reefer madness hysteria, call it. Um, it. It was a way to demonize. It seems to me at least to, to have been a way to demonize a certain entheogenic uh, practice that uh, perhaps it, it, it seems to be uh, had to do with the worship of fertility goddesses and, uh, you know, connecting with them in a, in a certain way, in huh. a theory way. Huh, that's interesting. So yeah. uh, uh, that's funny. What did, I just heard of something recently. Somebody was talking about rubbing a drug on their skin to absorb it in there. I'm wondering what that, I can't remember what that was. Have you heard of was that Was it lately? oil? Cannabis oil? Oh, maybe it was. Was it oil? Well, we just did that episode. Was it from Mr. Robot, maybe? Was he doing something? Was there somebody that came up with that on there? Huh. Anyways, I yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting way to spread propaganda. There was it other is. stuff that they were supposed to rub it on as well, right? Like, not only broomsticks, but... Fence posts, rakes, um, shovels. Yeah, everything. So, exactly. But when people think about the whole broom riding thing, you know, you they they really need to consider that like all the splinters, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't, I don't think that there, there, there are certain historical realities that get overlooked because the narrative of people, you know, Darren said, bet it's a very intriguing people rubbing hallucinogenic ointments on brooms and masturbating with it. It's a very intriguing idea. So it's one of those narrative replaces facts kind of situations. And, um, that I wrote about what we do know and what we can actually demonstrate about how these ointments were used uh, has some people upset, and it has other people, uh, you know, psyched that somebody wrote a book about it and was like, oh, this is what you found. I mean, hey, look, if the records would have said people are rubbing, you know, the ointments on brooms masturbating with them, that's what I would have written in my book. But the records don't say that. 
That's, so, you know, <clears throat> not, no records do it, it, it. There's not a mention of it until 1973, and it's as conjecture. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. So what, what were they using the ointments for, or what were the ointments made out of then? Are uh, they still well, psychedelic ointments? Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, they didn't call them psychedelic yet because the, the word uh, wasn't invented. Right. But, um, but uh, yeah, they use them for a variety of reasons. You would bewitch somebody, um, you know, make them uh, go insane. If you, if you surreptitiously give someone a drug and then maybe an hour later when the drugs are supposed to start taking effect, you say some kind of incantation or chant over the person – they're going to think that it's you doing it. They, they might not attribute it to the drug. So that was bewitching was one thing. Uh, people use them recreationally. They were called polka which means love cup or love filter. Uh, and usually used uh, for sexual purposes. Uh, they were used to prophecy. They were used in necromancy. They were used uh, for that, that fertility goddess, entheogenic experience kind of thing that I mentioned earlier. Um, they were used for flying as well. There's the, the popular flying ointment. People use them for that reason. Uh, so it really a, a whole uh, a host of reasons. So what, <clears throat> for people that aren't aware of the, of the psychedelic ointment, you know, because... Uh, what are we talking here? Yeah. Psilocybin, mostly? Uh, well, see, that's the thing. Most of the records don't mention a specific drug. They say one of two things. They'll say something like, Kertas herbas or quasdam herbas, which means a certain kind of herb. Could be cannabis, but we don't know. Could be henbane. Uh, other times it just says wene, which, depending on the context, means either drug or poison. Uh, that's the bulk of the times. Now, when drugs are mentioned, they're solanaceous plants like mandrake, henbane, belladonna, datura. Uh, things like toad poison are mentioned, but that's usually in homicide cases. Um, but uh, it's that kind of stuff. Uh, opium as well, hemlock, things that aren't so widely used anymore, although I would say opium is probably still widely used. Right. Uh, yeah, but things not so much. Um, now, as far as, you know, you mentioned psilocybin, you know, Darren, it's totally possible that psilocybin was being used and it was just written as drug mm. by the scribe. So we don't, we don't really know most of the time what people were using. And and was this like I think of when I think of ointment I think of something that you rub <laughs> on. It was it actually <laughs> shut up. Was it actually uh, was it actually in that form or did they just did they just mean as a uh, whatever like a you know a dollop or a, a little uh, tincture? Is that just a catch-all? Yeah, it was a catch-all. What it is is because there were so many different kinds of magic at the time and so many different uses for these drugs. It became a stereotype to just call it the witch's ointment. Uh, it's just that that's what it became. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. But a, a witch's ointment was specifically an ointment rubbed on the witch, her, or himself to have what we would call an entheogenic experience. Like of all the different magical practices that used and uh, utilized these kinds of drugs, it was the, the entheogenic um, fertility goddess worshiper kind, <laughs> so to speak, that eventually became the witch's ointment. What kind in, of, in, you know, to theologians and, and yeah, uh, their, yeah. their uh, oppressors. And, and are we talking, how, how much of a time frame are we talking about here? Is this spread out through centuries, like from, from uh, medieval all the way down through the Dark Ages? Or? Uh, well, it's, 
It's really difficult to tell because most of the records from, let's say, since the fall of Rome, I mean, there's some there's some evidence of this in in ancient Greece and Rome. Um, but after the fall of Rome, it, it, there's really not too much there because, by and large, the church was you know working on itself to become the Goliath it would eventually become. Oh, okay. And so they didn't really care too much <laughs> what local people were doing. And the whole thing is that th- this this idea of rubbing yourself with anointment to induce these experiences wasn't illegal. There was no war on drugs yet. It was only while theologians were debating and trying to decide, and I write about in the book this debate that was going on, of how could all these witches be flying to the devil when no one is seeing them go through the air? How is this even possible? And it, uh, a, uh, a rather famous writer of the time, a man named Alonzo Tostado, said, oh, well, actually, they're using those medical drugs. I actually, I, I know, I, I've seen them do it. So he says specifically that they're using medical drugs to, to have these experiences. Uh, Johann Nitter, another man uh, living at the same time around the 14, early 1400s, uh, doesn't mention uh, medical drugs, specifically psychedelic drugs, but the the stories he tells, the stories he tells, and the uh, the warnings to people about them make it very. I mean, it's it's you can't really argue that he's not talking about psychoactive drugs, right? Huh. Is it, is that a controversy? Like, is there other controversies besides the witch part of it? That like, do people question the historical? You know, let's say. Uh, accuracy of entheogenic use back then um well yeah actually some people do most of my book was just trying to um demonstrate uh after i started to find some evidence for it that uh that people did use these kinds of substances in those kinds of ways uh, in those days um when i first started looking into this i didn't i didn't know what to find uh, you know i applied the null hypothesis to everything meaning that i don't have an argument until i can make an argument Right, right. So I wasn't. I didn't really set out to prove anything. Um, I just I, I, I looked at the evidence and based the book off of that. So was there was there a contra? Like, do you think that the the people, uh, the theologians and the people in the hmm, in the the power structure were also using this behind the scenes as well? Like, do you think that? People have delved religious power out of this uh, in the institutions, not just sort of among the fringes. Well, so sure, sure. Um, there's, uh, I don't see again. We don't. I don't know if they were you. Like when you say where they were you. If with your regards to your question, when you say if these theologians were using them for for what kind of purposes do you mean? Again, there's a there's a there's a multitude of ways to use these things. Right. Do you right. mean entheogenically? Yeah. Or do you? Yeah. Like, um, is it something that they needed to suppress because they knew the power? Like, or were they just fa- afraid of it? I guess that's what I'm getting um, at. I don't really know the answer. Sure. I don't, there doesn't seem to be any indication of that. And that's something else I say that kind of pisses people off. Um, the, 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 uh, the people, the, the certain theologians, and I hate to lump them all together because, you know, people were just like today, people are individuals, people were, were individuals back then as well. But um, so were some theologians using these um, these drugs for entheogenic reasons? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there was certainly a uh, a clerical necromantic underworld, and necromancers certainly use drugs. So it would really depend on you know if it's entheogenic or not, what the pe- what the person is using it for. You know, so in answer to your question, I mean, there's certainly evidence that uh, theologians uh, knew about these kinds of drugs. 
There's evidence that they use these kinds of drugs, but what's limited is ultimately like like the end result, I guess. Although in some cases, it's pretty clear that it's uh, there's some entheogenic uh, thing going on. Like, especially like, yeah. but again, like to take necromancy, how do we define necromancy? You're calling upon the dead. Does that count as entheogenic? If yes, then we can say these theologians are using them entheogenically. If no, then it's not because it, it's, you see what I'm saying? It's a little complicated. I, I understand, but that's why they invented all these stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. It's complicated the, the picture is. Yeah. So how far back does, how far back did you, did you go with your research then? Like, is this... Is this something that you found also, or because you, I mean, you're a historian of this stuff as well, right? So did you have to, did you have to decide where your book starts and ends on, on this topic? Or did, what about going back to like before, before Christ and sure. some of the, some of the. Hunter gatherer. Well, not that not far that back, far. but like just e- Egypt or, or the, uh, you know, the time of Moses, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, the short answer to that is because all that stuff has nothing to do with the witches' arm. I mean, why didn't I go back to ancient China? Right, why didn't I go back right. to ancient Brazil? Why didn't I go back to ancient Japan? Why didn't I go back to ancient Pangaea? Yeah, because there, none there of is, it has anything to do with the witches' arm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if you're, you know, in the sense that it's like, yeah, did people use drugs in ancient Egypt? Sure. In ancient Greece and Rome? Sure. In you know, ancient China? Sure. You know, like, uh, of course they did. But does that have to do with the debate surrounding the creation of the witches' ointment? No. That happened in the 1430s along, you know, uh, the, the Italian-Franco-German uh, border? No, not at all. So when did, well, when did it get all, when did it start getting suppressed? Like, I'm just curious about, about how the culture started to shift to get it, that becoming demonized. Like, was it a long process? Was it... Well, I, 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 was, I had said it uh, earlier that um, it was, there was a debate during the 1430s uh, of different theologians wondering how it was that people could fly to meet the devil. It has more <laughs> to do with changing. No, it does. It has more to do with changing views of the devil and the devil's powers. Huh. So theologians, uh, some theologians had essentially convinced themselves that there were witches who could fly to the devil, but nobody had actually seen this happen. So they said, well, it's the strength of these ointments. It's a corruption of their soul. And um, what I write about in my book and a a presentation I've been giving recently uh, kind of demonstrates how this how this whole thing unfolded, how they uh, how they changed the uh, the, their perception of these ointments, because the first ointments that you have uh, that that are written about say nothing about worshiping the devil. They say nothing about uh, flying on a broomstick and masturbating with it. Well, no record says anything about that. But. Uh, about masturbating with a broom, but um, um, it, it's there. There's nothing there about any of that. There's nothing satanic about this. Then all of a sudden, you get this shift, and they're starting to say that, oh no, this is being used to fly to the devil. Mm-hmm. And then by the time of the publication of, you know, uh, books like the Malleus Maleficarum in 1484, you have them saying that the ointments are made out of, you know, child's flesh instead of the drugs that the earlier theologians said they were made out of. And now they're flying to the devil. They're not flying, you know, to these revelrous Bacchanalian kind of gatherings, which is what the earlier writers, you know, reported. I wonder if it's like um, where the witches come in, like before the witches were witches, I wonder if they almost come from like some sort of a shamanic background. Oh, absolutely. See that? Yes, that, that's, that's the, the, the whole... That whole stereotype, Darren, is the the is exactly that. The, these were shamanesses. These were wise women. 
Uh, some of them d did dabble in common sorcery as well, things like that. But by and large, I mean, this is the demonization of just, it, it's a misogynistic demonization of shaman women, by and large. Now, you're absolutely correct about that. That's what the stereotype is. Hmm. It's these kinds of shamanic women that were having these kinds of entheogenic experiences. So when they look to say, well, how, do, how can someone fly to the devil? They said, well, there are these women here that believe they can fly with fertility goddesses. They must really be flying with the devil. And I, I, I translate some, some records that, that uh, theologians wrote exactly that, that the people using these ointments believed they were flying with fertility goddesses, but those fertility goddesses were really Satan. Ergo, they're really worshiping Satan. Wow. So did this, was this the start of uh, the burning? Like, I don't know when all the witches started to get burned. Was that uh, as a result of, like, was this the start of that whole? Uh, it was the era? start of it on a major, on a major level. Right. Uh, it, that, that period that you're referring to, commonly called the burning times, um, lasted from about 1500 to about 1650. Now, that's not to say that witches weren't burned before that, because they absolutely were. <laughs> but I'm saying that the majority of the trials, like when we think about that word, that term, the burning times, mm -hmm. that was about 1500 to 1650. With some, you know, overlap, obviously, witches were still burned uh, in 1693 with the Salem witch trials. You know, so oh, yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah, it's a rough, you know, just kind of dating of it. Um, because you really could never tell when or where a witch would be burned. Um uh, a lot of the um, a lot of the records seem to indicate that it wasn't really any kind of priest or theologian burning witches during, let's say, you had mentioned the Dark Ages. It seemed to have been her neighbors when something went wrong. If there was a hailstorm that destroyed crops, or a child got sick and died, they they would blame you know the the village wise woman. And there was sometimes no you know authorial you know authority intervention at all. There was no theological intervention. It was just her neighbors. Blamed her for something that went wrong. Were they doing a lot of burning? I thought weren't, weren't they? I thought I read somewhere one time that it was less burning, and it was more like drowning or something. Then we thought you mean like the yeah, pop culture. Then, then like pop culture, then like is made out to be. Have you heard what, anything like that? Yes, Darren, you're you're correct. What you're referring to, however, is the British Isles. Um, that that's that was more of a UK thing. When when you go to continental Europe, that's where witches were burned. So that's like so the British Isles would be like uh, Salem witch and Salem witch. No, Salem. Salem? That's, a, that's U.S. That's, oh, that's yeah. U.S. Okay, yeah. I don't Massachusetts. I think that's Massachusetts. Yeah. Massachusetts. That's where Boston is. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Home. But yeah, so you're you're correct. But that was just stuff done. Uh, more that was more of an English thing because they didn't really. Although I think burnings did happen. There were there were relatively few. There were which were either hanged or drowned. It's not proper to burn people. I guess. You know, the English are pretty proper. No, I think what he's saying it's is that dirty. the burnings happened in England. He doesn't know. <laughs> no, about, the, you don't know about the water. The water rumor that Darren's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm saying those, things was it, that, those were things that, that went on in the UK. Right. Yeah, yeah. They weren't things that, that went on. In, that's why I, I, when he asked about it, I said, well, which area are you referring to? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, that was just a broad generalization. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it has, uh, it, it, uh, with a lot of this stuff, with a lot of um, magic in these days, uh, so much of it has to do with the time and place that 
you know, we're talking about. I, I hate to get so specific like that, but it's, you know, we're, we're witches uh, hanged more than burned. Yeah, but that's only half the truth. Right. Yeah, no, it, cho- it shows you how we've been conditioned though right like when i when i hear of witches i i think of the i think of like you know the holy the grail hat and Monty, flying a Monty python and the holy grail and like the uk, <laughs> the UK you know yeah of course <laughs> referencing movies nobody's heard of nobody's heard of monty python <laughs> he's just sure bugging me today so can we, uh, do you want to move uh, to the future a little bit here, Darren, from this? The future? This, yeah, not the future, the future of the, like, the, the present. The future of yeah. now? Yeah. Sure. So, <laughs> now, what's happening now, what's well, happening now? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> aren't we just doing that? That's baseball. <laughs> <I think. laughs> when Another will that movie. <laughs> Soon. It's jammed. <laughs> That's ludicrous speed. <laughs> sure, we've never gone that fast. I don't think the ship can take it. <laughs> I'm going to watch that again now. Yeah. I forgot that's oh. a classic. Oh, absolutely, man. Mel Brooks, anything Mel Brooks. So if we if we left uh, Witches Ormond for a while, do you, do you get uh, involved in the, like thinking about or researching the drug war nowadays and, the, and where we're at? Like, it seems like things are really opening up as far as like, psychedelics goes especially uh yeah i agree um yeah sure we can go that way what um i think what what needs to be created is some more a uh, slightly more credibility in the psychedelic research area i think that uh, a lot of the, the research is very enthusiastic and i think that it has very good intentions but i think that uh sometimes it's not as it's not as up to standard as some writers would hope their, their stuff is. And I can only hope that my stuff is up to standard. And one of the reasons why I'm constantly questioning everything and pissing people off by my findings <laughs> is that I'm trying to bring credibility to the, the study of these, of these substances right. because there is a long, rich history of their, a worldwide long, rich history of their use. But, um, you know, people today, uh, the, the, the powers that be mostly have, you know, the 1960s in mind and, you know, the whole acid scare. And I mean, truthfully, in the whole history of the world, what went on during that time was an aberration, uh, uh, you know, from what has normally gone on with regards to these substances. So it's just more to show uh, people that there is a um, there is a history there. It's a legitimate history and we don't have to make things up about it. Right, right. So that's what you mean by credibility in the research areas is you mean when people are researching like the, the, our current history of psychedelics and, and what's been happening. Is that what you in mean? In all matters. Yeah. yeah in yeah. all matters. Um, it's, uh, I mean, unless if, if people aren't interested in that, then that's their own prerogative. And yeah. I don't want to tell them what to do. No, uh, I didn't know I, at first I thought you might've meant, uh, like research, like scientific studies that are going on. That's kind of what I went to at first, but that's, you know, you kind of answered what, where I was going with it. Cause you know, there's people talking about how influencing the CIA was back then and all that. And, and I, I tend to think like, I haven't done a lot of research myself, but it's interesting cause it comes up on the show quite a bit where, you know, they were behind part of the counterculture movements and all that. But I, I don't necessarily think that, what people are finding proves a deep involvement from the government. It might just prove some peripheral, uh, you know, like sure. research going on or something. Sure. Uh, and uh, I, in my opinion, you're a hundred percent correct. 
it, it wasn't I don't know that there was any CIA agent saying, you know, like, well, let's 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 turn these kids on to kill some kind of movements. I don't yeah, know that right. it was that. I, and again, I don't know. I, I've never worked for the CIA or I wasn't alive back then. I have no idea. I just there doesn't seem I, I would agree with you. I, I haven't been convinced by what has been presented as evidence that that was going on. Um, I mean, if they mean, you know, to go back to what you were saying about the peripheral role, sure. Like, were, were, um, was the CIA supplying different universities who were testing, you know, this stuff on, uh, you know, the baby boomers? Yeah, they were, but they weren't giving them notes and telling them to, you know, destroy some movement. I mean, it was just they were supplying it to these researchers to find out what the stuff did. It wasn't illegal yet to do that. There's not, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't an illegal thing yet. Yeah. I keep forgetting about that. I think of it as, as being, I think of it as being illegal, like all the way along, but really that must've changed in the seventies, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, Sandoz used to L off psilocybin and LSD freely to read. I mean, you had to have credentials of course, but you know, they mailed it right off to you. (laughs) There was there wasn't a problem with it. It was, it was another experimental drug. It was going to be another just, Drug as a another drug in you know the in the medicine cabinet that was what it's a pharmaceutical chain. What's that? Another another chink in the pharmaceutical chain. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Sure. So what what do you think about the drug war now? Then is it has it been just a complete waste? Or I mean, obviously. Well, I don't I I don't think you you could find anybody uh, with any credibility that doesn't believe the drug war has been a huge waste. A failure of human power, yeah. uh, resources, money, time, the lives destroyed and ruined by it. It's ridiculous. Uh, thankfully, things are turning around. I mean, I'm in, I'm in uh, Oregon now, and I mean, I can smoke weed freely. I mean, people have been doing it for years here. <laughs> Smoking weed freely here for years pretty yeah, much. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of. Do it. And yeah, yeah it's, uh, things are changing. I, I, I think that it's, uh, there are such bigger deals. I, I mean, weed doesn't. It's really a huge waste of time to to try to you know, throw people in jail for using it. It's just it's not doing anything. It's just wasting. It's just wasteful. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. There's a bunch of people in jail for smoking weed. Yeah, that's insane. There are a bunch of people that are in jail smoking weed, and these fucking prisons let rapists and murderers out so that they could put the potheads in there. That's insane. That's fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, or the or the big the big crimes that don't even get punished, like the you sure. know, the banking scandals and all that. Of course, that's what drives me nuts. It's like all these little ones that get punished, and the big ones they just get away scot free. Yeah, of course. Well, the the little ones are are not in the pockets of the uh, of the proper authorities. The the big guys, they're you know, these are the guys that you know they have over for Christmas dinner and shit like that. <laughs> you know, like. New York is all connected. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm totally the rest of the country, but I'm totally fascinated about how where we're going to be in like five or ten years. I mean, there's an exodus to Peru. People, you know, going down there. I mean, we hear about it in Calgary. There's psychedelic forums and people talking about it. There's authors all over the place. Like, where's it going to be in like five or ten years? Like, I it's got to be to the point where they just can't keep it uh, illegal anymore. Like, Darren, didn't we just have? Uh, an election here and today yesterday yesterday <laughs> that you didn't vote in oh that's the secret um did, 
Doesn't he? Isn't he a proponent of legalizing drugs or something? Like that? That's what he said. He yeah, said see, he was we'll see legalize. what happens. I mean, a guy gets elected and he's talking about legalizing it. So. He said he's going to legalize it across the board, but I'd say in five years it's legalized fucking all across North America. Hard drugs too, or just pot and just pot, just pot. Mind you, that thing came out today that Richard Branson came out and said that. Um his media outlet or whatever was given a thing by the UN, but they weren't supposed to mention it yet about the UN recommending um, an end to the, the drug war? criminalization of drugs globally. Wow. And he wasn't supposed to release it, I guess, but he spilled the beans because he doesn't want, who knows? It could all be bullshit. I found it on Twitter. That was just today though. But there's a picture of Richard Branson, so it's got to be... Gotta be real. I'll Google it. You keep talking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, it's Portugal, I think, is the example that people are starting to use as people that uh, culture that has recently decriminalized it. It's on the independent. Is that a real thing? Is it? You can see we're pretty hardcore uh, researchers. News.com.au. Richard Branson leaks official UN document to prompt debate over drug decriminalization. Wow. Huh. Well, so, a good way for that to happen is to give it legitimacy by showing that there's a worldwide tradition. <laughs> yeah. That goes way, way back. Yeah. But so, doesn't so, tying it in with witches make it bad? Um. Well, I mean, if... In a sense, yes, but not really, because these people weren't really witches. They were just shamans. Yeah, exactly, and shamans. And it's it's just another part of that worldwide entheogenic history that was demonized. In some cultures, you know, these substances are are accepted and revered, and in others, they're they're criminalized and demonized. You get you killed. We use them. Would Graham be burned for being a Reiki master? No. Um, it's you know what? It's possible if if you let's witch, say you Graham. let's say you offered to give someone a Reiki session, right? And then through no fault, whatever, later on that day, they happen to fall and you know twist their ankle or break or have some kind of misfortune happen, and they didn't understand. Oh, how could that have happened? Yeah, and they brought it to somebody. I mean, you'd have to prove it, or else sometimes they would. You would suffer the punishment that now was one Italian. Burn him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a witch, but it'll burn him anyway. So, um, have you had any any personal experiences that have led you down this path? Uh, have I had entheogenic ex- experiences? Or, yeah, or or personal, like let's say I don't know, spiritual or personal experiences that have led you down this research path, or have you you know had any entheogenic ones that have you know, giving you any epiphanies or anything like that? Yeah, the second one. Uh, <laughs> I've had entheogenic experiences. Uh, I've, um, the one that I'll never forget was the one that kind of led me down the path of studying entheogens uh, historically. Like what, like, what is the truth behind this and what is the history behind this? I'll never forget that one. Wow. It led to this book eventually, you know, it, I didn't know it at the time that that's what it was going to lead to. I just knew that I was um, enraptured is, is probably the, the best word for it uh, by the experience. And I just wanted to know 
what it was and if it if it had occurred like what what is this thing that i am experiencing what is it uh so it was um i guess just called intellectual curiosity mm. was it surprising to you about how much information you found once you started researching the history of it i was more surprised of how much information i didn't find oh wow uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff on the internet is not <laughs> Actually, I have a funny story about that, but I'll, I'll, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that really is is not very excellently researched, uh, to put it nicely. And um, but that is what the what popular culture, I guess, demands of these ointments and these drugs, and um, you know, hence the hate mail. Hmm. But um, what I say to that is, you know, it show me a record. I'm I'm very easy to convince. I, I changed my when I first when I first started researching this. I thought, you know, exactly the pop culture view of it. I did. I thought everything that anybody would think, you know, about the witches. I mean, if all I did was go to Wikipedia, but I changed my mind as I looked at real deal evidence. As I translated the trial records, the medical texts, the journals, the the papal bulls. Like as I actually looked to see what these people were saying. Uh, I came to realize that, uh, you know, uh, one of the one of the ultimate problems with Internet sources is that anybody could cite something that they're, you know, that they want to cite when they haven't even looked at it. Uh, there's um, there's stuff on Wikipedia that uses the same sources that I use and they don't say anything like what the sources actually say, but they cite it. Hmm. But it's total bullshit what they're saying about it. Well, they can just take random words, like you take a word from here and a <laughs> word from there. And... Yep. Yep. You just butcher what's really there. Um, but if, if anyone takes the time to look, uh, you know, I, I presented the, the best that I could do uh, with this book, and anyone is free to challenge it, just show me some evidence, and I will change my mind. Hmm. That's nice. <laughs> well, did you have any, like... Um... I suppose, what was the biggest surprise you found in your research? So the two biggest surprise, well, maybe let's say three. One was the whole masturbating broomstick thing. Because again, okay, let me, there, there's a perfect example. I went into this research, I went into this book thinking that people really did rub <coughs> these psychoactive, entheogenic, psychedelic, whatever you want to call them, ointments on brooms and masturbated with them. I truly thought that that occurred. But when I looked through the actual sources, I saw that every person who's written about it today has miscited, has misinter like just has not actually looked at the 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 actual source itself because it says totally different things. Uh, so that was a big surprise and that there wasn't more mention actually of the drugs used and that they didn't write mushroom or cannabis but instead wrote just drug or poclamatoria which again means love drug or you know herb or a certain herb that was a big surprise i thought there would have been more mention of the actual drugs themselves but they didn't care the inquisitors it didn't matter they didn't give a shit about the drug it was about the crime of using something is that where broomsticks and witches come from then yeah, like yeah. that's flying, the whole flying thing on the flying broomstick, on the broomstick yeah. is so, finger banging yeah. yourself with a fucking kitchen utensil well, that's, oh, let me say this. That's where people today think it came from because that's what Wikipedia tells them. <laughs> but historically, that's not true. Because How did the, I not know this? <laughs> what's that? How did I not know this? Um, the same way, same reason I don't know how to fix the transmission. 
We're what else don't I know? <laughs> <laughs> so where did the where did the flying on the broomstick really come from then? Uh, you know that's a difficult one because we don't actually know. There's a there's an there's an engraving in a cathedral in Germany that has uh, Frey, the goddess, uh, riding on a broom. Um, mm. It seems to have just been a kind of a, 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 almost a misogynistic association of the broom as a domestic tool. It seems to have been that, but I it's it's really difficult to tell. Uh, as far as the idea of with the whole you know rubbing the ointment on it and uh, flying, this is th- something I was surprised about. You know what comes up the most in the records as the flying vehicle? The broom. Carpet. Nope. Fork. Mule and horse shit. Mule and horse shit. That's where fucking mushrooms grow. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Is that that where you're getting at? Yeah. So now that correlation doesn't mean causation, uh, what's the next thing you're going to (laughs) say? I don't know. What well, what are we supposed to say? <laughs> oh, we're supposed to shit and horse shit lead to mushrooms, which leads leads to, to flying, psychedelic, which leads to flying, tripping out, yep, flying high to Smoky Town. <laughs> I got a question from the chat room sure. <clears throat> from Willow Wisp. Would Santeria be an example of the way witchcraft was combined with accepted dominant Christianity and allowed to survive? Uh, to that person, I, I didn't really look into the history of Santeria at all, so it would be, I would be ignorant to comment on it. I got That's that a good song, song. In my head now. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's a great song. Sublime, I'm sure he get the rights to that. Because what surprises me is, is that all the, all the different, uh, drugs and herbs that you just mentioned off the top of your head a while back, like... I didn't realize how many psychedelic substances there were until we just started doing this podcast. Oh, there's even there's way more than that. I mean, I'm I just the ones I was mentioning were just the ones that uh, come come up in the record, right? Now, but there are there are, there are so many more than that. In fact, a friend of mine today just uh, sent me a link about a a psychedelic honey that some people use. Ooh, yeah, it's a delicious on toast. What's that? Be delicious on toast. Oh, hell yeah. Hmm. Talk about an awaken big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. I wonder, uh, fuck, I wonder there's probably some we don't even know about yet. Some what, oh, psychedelic yeah. yeah. We don't know. So I wonder that must go back to the bee then. Is that what killer bees make? Psychedelic honey? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm going to yeah. say that that's true. I'm going to go with that. Fact. Are you, th- are you thinking about writing another book after this one? Or? Uh, yeah, I have uh, two books in mind. And uh, I recently, Chris Bennett, if you're familiar with his work, he got in touch with me about possibly working on a project. So um, I just got to kind of think of where I'm, what direction I'm going to go. In. Hmm. Who's Chris yeah. Bennett? I don't think I know who that is. I read, I read oh, spend it. Uh, he does a lot of research into uh, historical cannabis use. Oh, nice. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's he's great. Uh, he makes a really excellent argument uh, for uh, marijuana as like the ancient soma, 
you know, a lot of people thought it was a mushroom, but he uh, he does a very good job, I think, anyway, uh, pointing out how it, it was probably uh, marijuana, not you know, not a mushroom. As Rick Simpson would say, it would be a good strain of indica that would put you to sleep there. That's for medicine. <laughs> no, it could be used for the same thing. I think that's what they're saying, Darren. Fine. Yeah. Well, uh, Soma's more recreational, though. Well, it depends on the context. If you're using it entheogenically, then it's, it's, it's that, uh, I think. I, I mean, in my opinion, anyway. Um, but I don't, I don't totally know. I'm just, you know, I, I'm just a historian. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm not a spirit guide or anything like that. <laughs> so I don't, I, I don't want to come off as if I, you know, I know anything about that. I just, what I write about is just what's demonstrable through historical records uh, uh, with the complete acceptance that the record is incomplete and that we can't possibly know everything. And I, I guess I wish that the future of this research would see a little bit more of that attitude because it, it discredits the entire study when, you know, people just kind of don't know what they're talking about and they're talking about it anyway. And they're saying it with you know, this, this, you know, a certain kind of arrogance and it's, I don't know, it turn it turns people off. It really does. Yeah. And I it's know, certainly going to turn off stuffy old academics in the universities who are the people that we have to really impress. Yeah. The yeah. internet's going to help that out though. The internet is destroying that as much as it's helping it. Yeah. It's true. terrible. America is probably not helping. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's really the double-edged sword of the internet because it would have been much harder to do my research without it. Um, but it also, there's a lot of nonsense um, on the internet. There really is. There's some good stuff. Don't get me wrong. There's some good stuff, but you got to dig. And, you know, just, just going to the first thing that comes up on Google, when you Google it, that's not digging. And that information is most likely incorrect. Yeah, it's actually becoming that way where the, the, you almost have to ignore the stuff on top <laughs> What's that? You almost have to ignore the stuff on top. That's the way it's well, becoming. Well, they can be so... good sources, but you have to follow the sources. I mean, yeah. you know, you can you can get a, a good starting point, let's say from Wikipedia, but you have to actually like if you're going to cite that source, you can't cheat by just looking at Wikipedia and citing that source. Look at the source and make sure that it says what Wikipedia says it says, because there's a lot of bullshit out there, and people do cite legitimate sources without actually having read them. Or yeah. sometimes they, they do read them, and this is the most insidious of all. They do read them. It doesn't say what they want it to say, but nah, fuck it, I'm going to cite it anyway. They leave it it's in ridiculous. there. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And that is not a way to make this study legitimate. That's not a way to make it so that more, like cannabis is legalized in more places. That's not a way to make it so that more entheogenic using religions like the Native American church get to use these entheogens. That, that's not how to do it. Lying about it is not going to do it. Using legitimate research is what's going to do it. Using facts to support your arguments, that's what's going to do it. Because where it's an uphill battle. So as soon as you, you know, with every, with every nonsense claim out there, um, like one of the claims you were talking about earlier, Graham, the whole, you know, was the CIA, you know, directly, you know, prodding the counterculture? No, that's ridiculous. Did they have a peripheral, you know, an outsider thing? Eh, possibly, mm -hmm. of course. Yeah. Of course. You know, people meet people. 
here and there, but was it this this massive conspiracy? No, and that's ridiculous, and it makes the whole study sound ridiculous. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the rampant speculation doesn't help, but you know, but on the on the other hand, we like to. I mean, you can speculate here if you want. We we're open to speculation, but we're not Grounds we're not big, talking with any we're not talking with any authority though. Like we're really just saying we, we'll speculate and we'll talk about stuff open mindedly. But I understand what you're saying about the research. Sure. Oh no, yeah. I'm all for talking talking uh, open <laughs> talking and talking. Talking. I'm all about talking open mind. Oh, I'm all about that too. But I'm all about to- talking open mindedly. But it's it's also about having being humble enough to say I don't know. Yeah. It's about not being an arrogant jerk and just saying you know what in this case I we we really don't know. You know, and there, there's a book that I actually liked uh, that uh, it's called uh, by a man named Martin Booth called Cannabis a History, and he talks about some papal bull that supposedly demonized marijuana use. I, I've, I've read the bull. It's, he doesn't demonize it, but people believe it, and you'll probably find it on Wikipedia, but it's just not true. <laughs> yeah. huh. And that's not the way to get this research <laughs> moving forward. It's not the way to liberate, you know, the, 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 uh, just the concept of entheogenic use. And get it more widespread. It's just it's not going to do that if, if every time somebody checks some you know very extraordinary claim, there isn't the extraordinary evidence to back it up. Yeah, it just it, it makes everybody look ridiculous. So do you feel like that's the next next step for you is down, down the history of cannabis a little bit more? Um. Well, in a sense, uh, I mean, I, if I'm working with Chris Bennett, I'm sure it's going to have something to do with cannabis. Yeah, yeah. but it's like this. Like I I. I wanted to know what was in the witch's ointment, for example. If there were a record that said that cannabis had been in it, I would have written the cannabis. So cannabis very much could have been, right. you know, all over my book. I don't approach it. I don't approach these things with, with any, you know, with any prejudgments. So, like, so one of the um, things that I, what, that I might write about uh, as, a, as, as one of the three has to do with... Um, the uh, uh, just kind of like a, a, a worldwide or not a worldwide, excuse me, the, the history of like Western entheogenic use from ancient Greece and Rome to the present day. And that would certainly involve cannabis. Um, so, you know, it, it, it really depends on where the research takes me, though. I have to, you know, uh, I have to find something. And then there, there are some mentions of it. Uh, like Fitzhugh Ludlow, the hashish eater, for example, uh, somebody who I'm going to be, you know, looking more deeply into, um, if see if he had any kind of entheogenic experience and maybe try to put that in historical context. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't know if he did. I have to, I have to read his book hmm. and see what's been written about him and see, you know, what there is about if he did. And if it's there, then to answer your question, yeah, I'll be writing about, you know, cannabis as an entheogen in my next book. Yeah, because we hear people saying uh, cannabis oil was used, like, they, you know, all the doctors even had that in their kit back in the late 1800s and 1900s. It'll oh, be interesting sure. to find out, like, how accurate That's, all that stuff is. Like, how, how accurate, how much oil was there being used back then? That, I would say, is pretty accurate. Um, cannabis and opium use in the late 1700s, 1800s, uh, early 1900s, uh, absolutely. Um, more so hash than like actual cannabis, but you know, like smoking it in a bowl, like in rolling it in joints and things like that. Um, but uh, no, it was definitely prevalent at that point.
or at least there are more records of its prevalence at that point, which would lead somebody to believe that it was more widely used. Oh, eating that shit is almost psychedelic sometimes. Oh, hell yeah, man. We got this stuff now. Uh, they're called squibs <laughs> out here. They're these, they're these gummies that are just ridiculous. I only eat half. <laughs> they're, 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 I, eat, I eat half because to have a full squib, Jesus Christ. That would probably be a full-blown psychedelic experience. And I like to eat them when I'm at roller derby bouts. And I don't know that I, uh, I feel like having a psychedelic experience when I'm watching roller derby. I kind of just, I, I want to watch the sport itself. How'd you get in? And you're a roller derby. <laughs> and you're There's a roller like, you know, derbyer yourself? Yeah, yeah. I, we just had champs this week. I had the most ridiculous weekend, man. You have no idea. Dude, Somebody got somebody's face got shot right on my car. And what my car was fuck? a crime scene, and my car got impounded. Did like, you see it? No, I wasn't here. I had a friend visiting from New York, and she had a gig out here. And I was like, yeah, use my car, whatever. I'm going to be in St. Louis for champs. So she drives my car to, to go to her gig at, outside this place called Dante's in Portland, and uh Apparently somebody's somebody got shot in the face and like they like died or something and their face matter got on my car oh my and my car became part of the crime scene. I actually, yo, here's the ticket. Can you see this? I actually got ticketed because I couldn't move the fucking car. It's like, are you kidding me? You assholes wouldn't let my friend move it. You said she couldn't. You told oh, her yeah, come that's back the next day operate. to move it. What's that? I remember when our company truck got stolen there, fucking. The cops wanted to fingerprint it, so and then then when we got it at impound, they charged us for towing it from the impound yard to the fucking cop shop for fingerprinting and for the tow back to the impound yard. That's brutal. It's six hundred bucks wasted because the cops needed your truck. Yeah, exactly. So, so what? What you're in the national? What was the roller derby year? Championships. It was a uh, roller derby, cha- MRDA, the Men's Roller Derby Association Championships. Uh, it was in uh, St. Louis. St. Louis won. Uh, they, they played fantastically. Uh, great team. Um, and, um, yeah, it was just I, I fucked up my shoulder. Um, actually playing the St. Louis Gatekeepers, courtesy of uh, one spin diesel. <laughs> yeah. Great guy. Great guy. Awesome dude. Awesome dude. <laughs> What do you have a stage name for roller derby as well? Or? Uh, uh, I have a roller derby name. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm known uh, the world over as Bainana. Bainana, okay. Yeah, B A N E dash A N A. My I have a roller derby book I wrote. Like it'll come up, I'm sure. Uh, That's not for a banana hammock, is it? What's that? <laughs> That's not for a banana hammock. You don't like do it in a speedo or anything? No. Okay. That's not why you have the. So is roller derby like? That's like going around the oval and fucking each other up. Ah, it's going around the oval and spreading the derby love by knocking people over. Hell yeah! And 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 you have to toss a ball around and 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 and, and extending an arm and picking them back up. Oh really? Each other. Hell yeah, man! We're a community. We're a family. You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. You got. You got about thirty, forty thousand people. You got to watch out for if you mess with a derby folk. <laughs> Do you, were there teams from all over the place then playing in this? Oh yeah! Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. How often do you get hurt? Uh not too often actually. Um, uh, this is this is pretty rare. This is. I, I mean, I've been playing now for five or six years. This is only my second injury, and I'll be fine in a little bit. And 
it's uh, I mean it was just champs, so we're in the off season, so it couldn't have really happened at a more convenient time. Nice. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a great weekend. Uh, you know, you see all your friends. It's a big family reunion. Then uh, play some derby. You get drunk. You get high, and fuck uh, each other up. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I wonder if we could get things out here. I was just thinking that. What's yeah. that? Is that something you can play? Like, just go out and try it out. Oh hell yeah! yeah. What was derby? People are very welcoming. Yeah, yeah. All you got to do is show up and give your absolute best. Do you, can you wear inline skates, or do you have to have those like those other oh, roller skates? Uh, yeah, I got these guys right here. These are my puppies. I don't know if you could see these on camera. Oh, yeah, yeah. Holy, are they rollerblades? Yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah <laughs> those, those are my like the big four. Yeah, no, those are quads. Um, thing is, there there's uh, there are things that you could do on this for roller derby. Certain kinds of stops that I don't know. I'd be worried about breaking my ankle if I tried to do it on a uh, inline. Oh yeah, yeah. Inlines can be tough. Yeah. Do you have inline skates there? We should go roll, roll, I, don't, roll I don't have any. Uh, I have hockey skates. That's it. <laughs> but I I used to do it. I remember I just fucking, I used to try and do it like hockey style. Stopping? Yeah. yeah never tough. worked out good. We have we have a lot of hockey uh, players that actually play role. In fact, one of my teammates is a ex, uh, I think, semi-pro hockey player. Sweet. Yeah. yeah, Sam Miller. I don't, if you follow hockey, I, I, I don't, so I don't know. But uh, yeah, apparently he was like a semi-pro hockey player. If I'm ever in Portland, can I come to a drop-in? Hell yeah. Nice. I'll go to roller derby it out. <laughs> Efrain's in Portland too. Yeah. What's that? Our, we got our buddy uh, Efrain Palermo, the guy, the guy who actually discovered the water on Mars like 14 years ago or something like that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he was our first interview. And uh, he's cool. uh, in Portland too. Yeah. Oh, nice. Right on. Well, is there anything else you want to mention before we uh, start shutting her down here? Uh, me or Darren? Uh, you. Um, yeah, really, the, the only thing is that uh, it, it would be great to see more kinds of, uh, you know, uh, research uh, into these kinds of things and these experiences. It'd be great to see uh, more university acceptance of these uh, experiences, entheogens, uh, psycho psychoactives of all kinds for uh, a multitude of uh, research purposes. And um, that's, that's going to happen not through being full of shit. It's going to happen through, you know, tr you know, making the best of the evidence that's available and uh, you free your mind by using your brain. That's all I have to say. Nice. Well said. And mushrooms don't hurt. <laughs> um, I'll, on that, I'll say that for me, mushrooms have been a very positive experience. However, that is in no way, shape, or form an endorsement for anybody to go eat mushrooms and do something stupid. Exactly. Or eat mushrooms at all. anything stupid. You know what? How about this real quick? Don't eat mushrooms ever. It'll ruin your life. You'll worship Satan and it'll turn you gay, right? Yeah. You'll masturbate with your broomstick. And you'll, mas you'll start masturbating with broomsticks. You'll get splinters up there. It'll be terrible. So don't ever... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right on, buddy. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I got a yeah, last-minute question from the oh, chat room. Oh, Darren's Darren won't let you go yet. yet. Uh oh Oh, no. One more last-minute question from the chat room. From How much dick do you... Su no, okay. yeah, no, that was for grab. <laughs> <laughs> Who can, how can psychedelics change the world we live in? 
Wow. <laughs> it's an easy one. It's an easy one. That's a big less, question. Right? In, in, in 20 seconds or less, how can psychedelics change the oh, yeah, world? You have as much time as you need. Oh, um, well, I would say, what's that person's name that asked that question? ZDE11. Z. We'll, we'll go with Z. ZDU. Oh, ZDU. <laughs> Mr. 11, um, that's a great question. Um, I think that, at least for me, what, uh, what they did, and I can't speak for everybody, but it definitely gave me a different way of seeing beauty and a different way of, of tolerance and, and seeing um, uh, acceptance of things. And uh, at least in my life, uh, was positive. And I think that if many people had positive experiences, that that would be uh, that could be good for the world and change it for the better. Now again, somebody saying, "Yeah, just eat you know two eighths of shrooms and you're definitely going to see God." Well, no, that's not always the case. You could really you could hurt yourself or somebody else if you don't have the proper mindset. If maybe you know if your girl just dumped you or whatever, your guy just dumped you or whatever, or you know you failed a class like. You know, and, you know, that's not the right setting to do it. And that just becomes another statistic of why drugs are, quote unquote, bad. So do them responsibly. If you're going to do these things and people are, you know, I know I, I joked before by saying, you know, don't do it. It's going to turn you gay and make you worship Satan. I'm, I'm obviously joking. It's not going to, you know, <laughs> maybe it will. I don't know. But <laughs> my, my point is just if you're going to do them, just do them responsibly so that it's not another statistic of somebody doing something stupid and making it harder for people like me to make this shit legitimate and to show that not make it legitimate it is legitimate you know like demonstrate uh to just the um just different areas of research like how legitimate it is and why it's a worthwhile thing to look into and um if there is a truth there well truth is always good for the world right precisely yeah, I like that. I think there'd be more love in the world for sure if if it was opened Absolutely. up. And I think people would start realizing that you know we're not just meat puppets, and consciousness may reside, you know, not just in our brain. So I think it'd be it'd be very positive. Yeah, all you need and is I, love. Yeah, that's true. And Darren, actually, I want to apologize to you. I was a little rude to you earlier. Uh, I'm still a little fired up from this week, and I haven't slept too much. And uh, Oh, that's fine. I didn't even notice. Uh, I, I was uh, I was a little cranky, and um, I, I apologize for that. Oh, no, worries. no worries. I'm rude buddy. to Graham all the time. I probably did it right. <laughs> and by the way, that was Zach. The ass. Zach. Oh, that was Zach. Hey, Zach. Yeah, yeah good day. Good that he's here. I think, Zach Zach? Just, I think Zach just bought a t-shirt off us. So, oh, perfect. Yeah. Or donated, I should say. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for coming on. It was it was fun. I learned a, a shitload about. Witches, witches and shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, buddy. Yeah, maybe we'll get you back on after your uh, after your next book or something like that. Yeah, sure. I can't believe I didn't find out about the broomstick thing until after it was debunked. I know, brutal. Oh well. Yeah, big thanks, buddy. Uh, come well, back. Well, well, wait. Let me, on, on that, let me say, look, if if somebody has a piece of evidence out there, I could totally be wrong about the broomstick thing. Just. <laughs> Let me see it. <laughs> you might be vindicated, but I'd have to see it first. Yeah, I, I kind of hope you're wrong about that one, too. But I'm hope I'm wrong, too, man. That's <laughs> fucking cool. 
Let's see if anyone in the Gramerica audience can find something. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope they do. You know what? If somebody does, please get in touch with me. Like, I would love to. I would be. I would be so psyched to be wrong about this. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks a lot for coming on. Yep. Have a good one, man. <laughs> back that was our chat with uh tom tom hatsis seemed like a fun cat fits right in fit right in here in great america yeah that was good what'd you think yeah it was it was interesting i didn't really actually hear much about the the brooms in the in that respect no me neither that was the first <laughs> time i heard it i actually i haven't really heard much about psychedelics from that era really i, I feel like i've i only hear about it from way further back or uh, or recent times. Maybe because you're not looking. That's right. Because I'm not a psychedelic historian. Maybe you should be. I don't want to be. Maybe we could interview one. We just did. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was also more of a witchcraft historian, no? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Psychedelics just sort of crossed the path. It'd be cool to someone take us right through the history of psychedelics, right from like prehistory to... Last night, I think there is some. He does some stuff on that, on the history of that. We should check out his other work. There's just more. There's more um, a variety of psychedelics than I ever would have imagined. Like when I grew up, I was just thought it was like acid and mushrooms or whatever. There's <laughs> just so much more out there. MDMA at the tail end of her. Yeah. Ecstasy. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're we're old dudes now. Just popping shit out of I know. labs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wanted to mention too before we forget that uh, we don't have any ads in this show, and we don't have any portals or any sponsorship. We're solely listener supported, right? Yeah. And uh, sorely too. Sorely, <laughs> solely, and sorely. Yeah. So yeah, check out grammarica.ca slash support. Um, if you dig our content, if you dig our show, if you feel like we give you some value, then head over to grammarica.ca slash support and check out all the different ways you can give us some value back. Uh, help us heat the igloo for the winter. Uh, for a limited time, donations $25 or more, and you can get a t-shirt if you want. Email Graham and he'll send you what sizes and shit he has. And uh, yeah. And colors. I have a few colors. I got purple and blue and then gray in the Gramerica, but I think I'll limit it to next time just to one color. There you have it. There you have it. Review the show, uh, gramerica.ca slash iTunes, and spam gram, and most importantly of all, tell some people about this show. People, people say, oh, wow, it's 
really coming on strong. And then what you have to do is you have to take one more enormous hit. And then separate the entrapment from the cat. Yeah.